Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Tonight we're gonna take no prisoners. This time we're gonna live our dreams. Tonight the old Hard-working town, hard-working team Oh, and tonight the hardwood's burning And the craft will keep on working Get behind the orange and blue With all your might Have basketball tonight, tonight Welcome to Cavs the Podcast. I'm Nate Smith, and I'm here with it's it's a Euro, well not a Euro Zone, but a Euro podcast <laughs> with uh, with Ben Worth uh, all the way from uh, Germany and Adam Cathcart, uh, who's been our newest contributor on Cavs the Blog, and this is his first podcast, so. Welcome, Adam, and tell us a little about yourself. Well, thank you, Nate, and great to be with you, Ben. Uh, I'm based in Leeds in the north of the UK and have been a a Cleveland, was was a Cleveland resident in the 1990s and early 2000s as a student at the Cleveland Institute of Music. Since then, I got involved and interested in Chinese history, and I'm currently a uh, lecturer, which is a professor of uh, Chinese history at the University of Leeds. So my basketball interests have uh, been developing as a as an analyst, I guess, and as a fan over the years. But I've always stayed connected to Cleveland, and so the uh, longtime reader of Cavs the blog, uh, going back to the origins um, and uh, kind of that, those teams of the late 2000s and early 2010s. So longtime reader, uh, longtime commenter, and uh, finally a contributor. So thanks a lot for having me. Uh, it is awesome to have you, and it sounds like we may have to have a little music discussion after the podcast is over. Because I, I was going to say, Adam, I didn't realize you went to CIM, man. That's awesome. Yeah, cello performance. That's the that's the way of the, the yeah the way of uh, the way of the string. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's the it's the customary route to Cavs the blog is by going to a <laughs> conservatory. Like this is what, yeah, we, do, what we, we do. Yeah, yeah. we. <laughs> We definitely have an eclectic uh, group of professionals. I, we have people in IS and IT. We have uh, people in the music biz. We have people in the entertainment biz. Uh, we have lectures. Um, it's it's an awesome collection of people, and I'm and I'm super happy to welcome. And unfortunately, um, just a 
a somber day. Uh, and, and I don't really know how to broach this, but it, yesterday was a really hard day for me. Uh, I found out that uh, Ryan Yankee, who's a contributor for Cavs the Blog and, and a reader before that, uh, passed away I, Friday uh, from heart failure. His uh, dad emailed me, and uh, it I, I'm just unbelievably sad. He and I had corresponded a lot in outside of the blog, and just someone who had had a lot of struggles in his life and was working really hard to overcome them was uh, another musically inclined person played in many different bands in the Cleveland music scene, uh, worked at the Beachland ballroom for a while, ran a club in Cleveland called the Davenport. Um, I actually found out yesterday that I, I had a friend in common with him on Facebook that I didn't even know who I knew through a complete, not even having anything to do with Cavs. And he was big in the cleaning for a while too. And we just got to talking about Adam. Uh, I'm sorry, not Adam, Ryan. And just Ryan was just an unbelievably nice person and had nothing but good things to say about Cavs, the blog and, and really about all of you guys, the community. And it, I just wanted to read a little bit of, you know, some email that, uh, Ryan had sent back and forth with me, um, and one of the things he said, I found you guys at CTB at a particularly difficult time in my personal life, and I've continued to have my life enriched in a plethora of ways as you and your colleagues have continually welcomed me and my thoughts with and opinions with open arms. Um, as to mental health, I imagine that Imagine that is a common thread among many of us who have grown to appreciate Kevin Love beyond basketball. It's perhaps a little odd to look to a famous athlete as a voice for such things when that person could be your younger brother or uncomfortably old son in some cases, but it can be pretty cathartic for someone in the public eye to express things that even friends and family are often uncomfortable. There are times when the non-basketball side of the NBA is quite encouraged. As to less personal matters, I do double down on the fact that I believe we all have a good knack for organizing nonfiction discourse. My natural inclination has always been toward fiction, and I don't know your experience as an English major, but personally I find myself usually learning much more from peers than I have from most professors. As such, I definitely appreciate and welcome all professional criticism from the Cavs of bloggers, and in a handful of interactions, you have greatly helped me improve at the weakest part of my writing. Thank you again for making me feel so welcome and comfortable and understanding my intermittent bursts of far-arching sincerity. I heartily believe that the CTB community is, as a whole is better than therapy. Everyone is going through something, right? And I, I just thought that was a really just a nice encapsulation of who Ryan was. Very conscientious, very uh, thoughtful in his words and actions, and really someone that I was super happy um, interact with. And uh, I just wanted to say, you know, uh, if you're interested in learning about Ryan Yankee and his, uh, his musical taste, and I'm, I'm going to be posting some of his music at the end of the blog. If you Google or search the name Ryan Yankee with Cleveland or band, uh, you'll probably stumble across videos, 50 different videos across a bunch of different 
genres from bluegrass to metal to psychedelic to power pop and more. So that's just a little bit about Ryan. And, you know, really, it was a crushing day for me personally. And uh, I I just wanted to send my best to Ryan and his family. I, I don't even know Ryan personally, or I've never met Ryan personally, but as with so many people in our modern life and, and this blog in particularly, you become close with people that you never meet. And if you're lucky, you get to meet once or twice. Um, but I just, Ryan had a profound impact on my life and I hope that he touched some of you all's. Thanks. Thanks for listening. to. And, uh, and it was also a hard day because, you know, a big part of the Cleveland music and sports scene, uh, Michael Stanley passed away yesterday. And um, I actually, the bumper, the lead in music for this, uh, for this podcast is going to be hard work in town, hard work in team, which is the Cavs theme from the, from the eighties uh, that was done by Michael Stanley. So I'm, I'm super excited to, to dig that out of the archive and hear that and, if you're listening to this, you just and and not to bring the whole room down, um, but I did want to you know pay tribute to those two. Um, I know there's a lot to talk about with the Cavs, uh, and that's you know what Ryan would have wanted, and so I hope he's into this somewhere. Um, as we're talking, there's a lot of information. I know one of the big things that's been coming out this weekend, if you're listening on Twitter, is all or following on Twitter, all sorts of people seem to be offering the Cavs stuff for um, Larry Nance Jr. And uh, the best tweet I heard, which I can't remember who to attribute it to, was that, um, you know, maybe if the Cavs get a couple first round draft picks, they can someday hope to draft somebody who's as good as Larry Nance Jr. But my doubts are low that that can happen, (laughs) especially someone who's good on the court and off the court, Mr. Nance is. I don't want to see him go anywhere. I don't know about you. How do you feel about that, Ben? Uh, I mean, before the season, I had... Um, actually, first, thanks for... Yeah, for I know. That's an odd segue. All of that. I mean, Sorry. It's, just, it's appreciated for a lot of us on the, on the board. I, too, didn't know him very well. Just the recent contribution. I mean, yeah, that's a beautiful... that the The sincerity... That one line about the intermittent sincerity, intermittent sincerity is, that's a keeper. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. So, I, I didn't mean to beautiful. just give yeah. you all that. And then, hey, how about Larry Nance? <laughs> it's more just, it, it was hard to get through yeah. it all. So I feel you, man. I feel you. Um, but, you know, with, as, as turns, you know, leading into the season, we talked about, uh, we, we picked MVPs and, and this and that. I think a lot of us had Larry Nance as the best player on the uh, pretty act the season so far. Um, it's another reason why I don't really love RPM or defensive RPM. And, uh, he's ranked like a hundred something. And that is just actually objectively absurd. That so poorly on any defensive, uh, if you can watch defense. Um, so yeah, I don't have any expectation that the Cavs are going to trade him unless they can. It would have to be a pull, like a thunder type pull that they've been getting for these huge stars. What about you, Adam? Well, I think it's the matter of the front office kind of sending those backroom signals, basically, or, you know, Chris Feed or whoever, there's whoever's laundering that information and they get a sense that everything's, uh, you know, that other players have been put metaphorically on the table, right? Like JaVale and Chetty and this kind of, uh, 
I think there's this, anything can happen, right? The sense that kind of you really want to be talking to Kobe this week, right? So there's a little bit of that, but it, yeah, it seems pretty clear they wouldn't be trading him. He's a, he's so invested, um, and he's just coming back, right, from that broken hand. So I think that um, I'm really keen to see him back on the court and kind of see how he gels with the rest of the team. I just want to add, by the way, about Ryan. Um, he, I just want to reinforce that. Yeah, he was a really, really um, good correspondent with me and really, really earnest. We had a little bit of back and forth when I first came on. He was really welcoming, like everybody else has been, but especially kind of about on the writing front, like somebody wants to think about the craft and kind of improve and, and um, just kind of quite intentional with his, his kind of uh, interactions and his, and his thoughts and kind of his, his work. So I really, uh, thanks, thanks to you guys for kind of getting me introduced to him. Yeah. Um, and as far as, you know, the other things that are coming up with the Cavs uh, off season, I know I've, I've heard a lot of rumors about, you know, the Cavs trying to move, Andre Drummond and I've I've even just read a rumor on Hoops Hype about, you know, the Mavericks possibly interested in Kevin Love uh from from Chris Fedor the the plane dealers um or the plane dealer. I that actually is a move that makes a little bit of sense for the Mavericks other than the fact that, you know, Kevin Love has a very hard time staying healthy. Um, but the Mavericks collections of forwards right now don't really match their roster. You know, James Johnson and, uh, Dwight Powell, who's been very bad since he's been hurt. Um, you know, and the guys that they talked about trading, uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. and James Johnson, uh, you know, are on expiring deals. Uh, I had a big (laughs) argument with someone on Twitter last week that, you should never, ever, ever trade Andre Drummond for a guy like Dwight Powell, who still has two years left on his contract after this one, unless you're getting at the very least a first round draft pick, because that contract's not good. Um, you can't overpay for guys who can't play. So, in any thoughts on where we might see, you know, Andre Drummond or uh, Kevin Love end up? after this weekend or before the trade deadline. I know my personal thought is that Andre Drummond's probably going to end up getting bought out. Uh, Adam? I feel the buyout energy is pretty high, isn't it? It's, it's hard to find a really good fit for him. And it seems like the, there hasn't been a lot of interest up to this point. It, I think Kevin Love is obviously a much more attractive uh, piece for other teams. That, And I think for Cleveland fans, it's uh, the people used to watching the Cavs. It's hard to put yourself back in that mindset of a few years ago where the team is underperforming at the all-star break and you're a bit desperate, you know, you've got to move the needle and the maps are performing reasonably well lately, but they're eighth or ninth seed, I think in the West kind of trying to duke it out with the warriors who seem to be on a pretty good clip lately. So, you know, that that's a really, they're used to high performance. And I think the, the fans expect that, um, you know, certainly a playoff run. So that's where love, I think is certainly more uh, attractive, but there may be other franchises that, I mean, but Portland, right? They talked about Portland. Uh, Nurkic, I, I think, is still out, but um, that doesn't seem to be a particularly good fit. So it's it's hard to see. Or Toronto, but they've been doing reasonably well lately as well. So I have a hard time seeing him um, doing yeah, anything other than the buyout route at this method at this at this stage anyway. Ben, yeah, I mean, I've heard heard some rumors too about the potential of of Drummond being moved in any uh, Kyle Lowry trade if he ends up being moved. Uh, cause obviously with that much salary, Lowry's salary, there's just not a lot of teams around the league that can 
can absorb that much salary either direction that the Cavs are going to be a player and that would be on that front, uh, I would say, uh, be most likely. Uh, that being said, I really don't think that the Raptors should move Lowry. It would not make a lot of sense. I think they could probably still compete into the second round if they continue at their trajectory right now. Um, the amount of things that would have to happen that deal work from their perspective, that would strip them of a little bit more than I think to their benefit. As far as love is concerned, if I'm the Mavericks, I don't pull that trigger because actually I kind of, you know, obviously Dwight Powell has been a problem and a really long time to recover from his. He looks pretty ground bound, but he's been showing a little bit of signs of life for the last couple couple weeks. And more importantly, do you really want to pair Kevin Love with up front? Um, I suppose one could argue that, you know, they're trying to, people talk about moving Porzingis, but I don't see that being either. And even a guy like James Jones, I find he's a useful player, especially in the playoffs that they have to go size on the wing. So really, I think it would be better for, for everybody to kind of stand pat. Uh, I like the idea with, with Larry coming back and with Kevin at some point, really just with, with Jared Allen, Kevin and, and Larry up front. Um, he was really doing great work. Larry, I'm talking about at the three and being able to swing back in three and four and this is a whole other good discussion, but you know, I still think the Cavs are the best of Sexton come. Let's get to that at a well, or or later in this podcast. <laughs> yeah, no, I, and and I was intentionally leaving out the Porzingis thing because I, I'm with you that that's not an offensive pairing that makes any sense, or it's also a trainer's nightmare to have to you know manage yeah. both those two guys. Uh, both those guys are been pretty fragile over the last couple of years. I don't know if you've read any of the stuff about Porzingis. Like at times, it's like the guy can barely get in a defensive stance. So he's he's definitely struggled for such a young player staying healthy, and he has a very long contract in front. Of him. I think he has it in at least four years after this one because he signed a pretty hefty. Ex- so that that's going to be a difficult sell no matter what happens. I I actually. You know, I agree with the rumor that I saw that the the Cavs will have to get very creative to move Andre Drummond. There's places that make sense for him to go, um, but part of the problem is, like you said, that nobody has the money to absorb him, and the the Celtics actually feel like they would be a good fit for him. Um, and I know you had emailed a little bit that part of the Celtics' problem is that their injuries are hiding their best player. Um, who Marcus Smart? I think you said right. Well, not not that he's the best player, but he's the hardest. No, of the I team said defensive makes, player, but yeah, yeah, defensive. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean defensively, he there are two things that Marcus Smart does really, really well. He moves the ball on offense more than people realize. He's a ball mover. He swings. He does. He doesn't just dribble for for hours. Um, he's an underrated passer for a guy like him. And he, you know, as much as people have made fun of his shot, his shot is actually a few years. Uh, but defensively, he's an absolute terror and putting, you know, taking him out and, and running with a rookie and Pritchard's been good, but he's still a rookie and trying to run with Tice and, and Tristan. It's just, it's an absurd ask for the two, the two wings and Brown and Tate. Uh, so when Smart comes back, you know, until, until they suck with Smart in the lineup, uh, I'm not worried at all about their self, the Celtics ability. Kemba is always a problem. I mean, I would never ever, this is part of the reason why the Cavs sometimes scare me. I would never, uh, build a team around six foot guys, but hey, here we are. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. And I don't know if your read on Tristan Thompson is the same as mine, but 
you know, I noticed this last year and a little bit the year before. Tristan Thompson is not a guy anymore who's a starting center in the NBA. His effectiveness, you can see it waning the more minutes he plays. And when he plays on back-to-backs, he pretty much plays more than 20 minutes a night anymore regularly. It, I just see his effectiveness and his explosiveness dropping and he just is not that Iron Man player he once was. I, I don't know. Do you see the same thing? I mean, he's. It's interesting with Tristan. I really do think he has his moments where he plays up to the competition, good big time. Uh, but he he moves like he's four years older. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think particularly, that's a good if it's, uh, particularly if it's against elite competition, right? I mean, I saw him go up against Clint Capella maybe last week, and it's just yeah, it does feel pretty slow and. Uh, I'm surprised he's starting, to be honest. I mean, most of the games for the Celtics he started, and it just doesn't have yet quite the pop that he that he needs to. And, and no outside shooting, whatever. Not that Drummond provides that, but um, definitely more creativity and, and um, movement on the offensive end, I think. Well, he's. I mean, Drummond's also just a much – he's a superior defender at this point. Even Drummond, Drummond when he's locked in and not – uh, I mean, he is unfortunately the kind of guy when he gets off his game, uh, which is a lot true for a lot of guys in the league. Um, and who knows whether that would happen in a deep playoff run. The guy's never really had a deep playoff run. But his his offensive uh, limitations in a, in a system like Stevens would be, I would assume, would be mitigated. If you have that many ball handlers on a team and you take the, the ball out of Drummond's hand, and he can keep his head in it, then theoretically he can be a positive player. But what I've seen, unfortunately, with with Andre is he's a defensive force when they run the offense through him, which unfortunately creates a bad team. Yeah, that's a, it's a really good way of putting it. And the, the the insane thing is he has a chance to be, you know, if he embraced being a Ben Wallace type, he could be a truly special defensive player. Like defensive player yeah. of the he was playing like a defensive player of the year at the beginning, just with the steals and the blocks and his ability for as, as enormous as he is, he can actually switch on to smaller play players and actually just swallow them up. And he's actually a really good defensive rebounder when he's engaged, uh, even though his overall rebounding numbers are padded by how many times he gathers his own misses. But he has a chance to be a super special defensive player, and I think one of the biggest problems is he, and this is just from the outside, not anything I've heard, but he seems like a guy who's really, really depressed about having to take a pay cut if he becomes a defensive specialist. And so much of the way he's played this season seems to really be about his inflating his numbers in a contract year. And I think he could be a winning player. He just doesn't seem like that's his goal. And he's as he, also, as you said, uh, very mercurial as a person. And and the funny thing is, is, you know, when he got to the Cavs, I enjoyed him so much more off the court than I did on the court, at least offensively. You know, Adam, anything to add about Andre Drummond? Well, he clearly gets on with the with the rest of the team. He's still with them. You know, he's a he's obviously a, a, a good person off the court and kind of a fun uh, fun teammate. And, you know, he and a lot was made of his uh, sharing of an agent, I think, with Kevin Love, something like that. So, I mean, there's plenty of kind of common ground. And I, I'm a little sad because I remember there were a few games at the end of last season, or the truncated last season, where he seemed to kind of be merging with Darius, 
and even Colin talk about a, two guys who kind of want the ball. Um, and it seemed like uh, there was some real flash there. And it's, it's, uh, he's also part of the reason that the Cavs had success at the beginning of this season, right? So, uh, you know, you got to give him a little bit of credit for some of those wins uh, early on. And uh, it is, no, I mean, uh, it's, un- I think it was, as far as credit is concerned, he is clearly a guy that he bought completely into this experiment uh, with the Cavs. He loved running action with, with Larry and that big jumbo lineup. I think he really enjoyed the idea of playing with Love and Larry and it was, it's hugely successful. It's like a very short sample size because obviously Love only played. The Cavs absolutely dominated the three guys on the, on the floor at the same time. And his, uh, you know, you can see very clearly when the Pistons got Blake Griffin, and all of a sudden they ran the offense through Blake Griffin. Then he he sulked in a little bit on the defensive end, and essentially ended in with the Pistons. He because that last season before they picked up Griffin, he was passing the ball a lot. He had a lot of more of the offense going through him, but unfortunately the guy just can't finish strongly. If he could ever get in his brain that he has to go into the defender and finish with strength with that huge frame of his, he would actually be a good offensive player. But he he avoids contact all the time. Uh, but yeah, that initial stretch when he was clearly having a great time playing strangely, the whole team was playing strangely. It was all the defense, all big. Uh, the rest of the league was shooting a bunch of threes and, and playing this spread it out game. And the Cavs were basically playing a giant lineup and taking everybody's lunch money. Um, but the mercurial nature, you know, but at the end of the day, he was a good player. I was all ready to even extend him, not for a max anything, or obviously, but to extend him and have him part of the Cavs for a long time. Uh, but then they had an opportunity to pick up a far superior, younger player. So, you know, things change when Jared Allen comes. Up. Yeah, I'm a hundred percent with you. And, and Jared Allen to me has a chance, like to me, he's already a top eight center in the league. Um, and he, he could be top five when, the Cavs look for him regularly. They are really, really have a chance to dominate because he does a couple things extremely well. He's an unbelievably good finisher and not just on dunks, but also has, you know, that hook shot that's almost unblockable because of how long he over either shoulder and yeah, either hand. Yeah. Yeah. And he can actually, you know, shoot all the way out to an uncontested three pointer. Uh, where that you know, three was it, pretty the other day. I was oh, actively excited. He about made that. threes in three out of four games consecutively. I mean, that that's really impressive. And his form looks really good. It, you know, his windup is a little slow, but for as big as he is and that, you know, you know, guys aren't going to want to chase him out there. He, he definitely has the ability to take that part of his game as far as he wants it to. I think there's also a chance with him too, as he fills out, because he's already filled out quite a bit, and yeah. a little bit like Tyson Tyson Chandler, because he also came in the league really young. Uh, yeah, and Tyson Chandler was weak and always had good defensive instincts, but he would get bowled over, and you see that with yeah. Allen too. But every year he's getting bowled over a little bit less. And Larry Nance Jr. is another nice comp there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I really, I I love what I'm seeing and the numbers back every. Uh, loves his offensive rating over the last four seasons has been supreme. Um, and for all those reasons, and he just doesn't turn the ball over stupidly. Although in the last few games, I got a little excited, but throwing the ball to the other, you know, letting <laughs> yeah. TJ McConnell. Oh my pocket. gosh. That was one of the more painful games I've ever watched. 
Yeah, come on, man. You didn't. You didn't kind of like it. There's got to be. Oh no, no, no. There was sort of like, come on, T.J. McConnell, get the tenth steal. Like, come on, strip these. Oh no, I mean, T.J. McConnell is. If I not not quite, he's a little lighter than I would be if I was my ideal NBA player. But yeah, T.J. McConnell is. He's the next closest thing to Delhi in the league. (laughs) So, and Delhi's my all-time favorite NBA player. So. Deli and Andy Verjean for me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, the two two greats. Uh, Adam, I know one of the things that you had on your your topic list was a little bit of the orderly euphoria um, for the Cavs, and I think this really dovetails well into you know a season review uh, or a first half review. What what have we talked about so far that? And what haven't we talked about that kind of dovetails into what you wanted to talk about about the the first half of the season? So, and especially the early period when they were really killing teams. Well, it's been such a corkscrew, hasn't it? Because it kind of you've got this euphoria at the beginning, you've got the West Coast nightmare, and then you've got this kind of mini recovery. And it's hard to almost remember the beginning of the season now. But the, yeah, the roster has been overhauled in certain really important ways, uh, especially at the and solidified right at the center position. And uh, the one thing I would just add about Jared Allen is uh, the guy can shoot free throws reasonably well, and it's less of a you know coin toss or a, a, a kind of a, a sense of uh, nervousness when the, when uh, Tristan or uh, Drummond you know would get up to the free throw line. So that's that's another upgrade. So as Ben said, yeah, it's kind of on on the whole range of metrics. This guy's really exciting. Um, but yeah, it's it's hard to measure the season and to kind of try to flatten it out a little bit so far uh, because. Uh, the lineups have been all over the place. I mean, I, I had a look at the uh, John Beeline, right? You remember, what was it, 2019-20? That guy had such consistent lineups. I mean, every night it was the same starting five. And I think it, they only started shifting it a little bit as Drummond came in. And it's it's uh, this year it's been just absolutely all over the place. And maybe a little bit of that's the pandemic, but it's just also just the nature of the, this team and the trades and all the rest. Um, and, and JB still trying to find out what's happening. So. You know, as Ben said, thinking about a, a starting three, you know, the, the, the front court is like Allen, uh, Larry, and Love. Okay, <laughs> let's, let's throw it out there and see what happens. So there's still a lot of experimenting to be done. But I don't know, I'm feeling overall pretty um, positive about the, the steps the team has made so far. Um, I'm, I'm with Can you. Can we throw I, some love at Dean Wade talking about starting? Yeah. I, and there is a guy, I mean, if you listen to earlier podcasts, I did not think he had, the way they were using him and his lack of confidence that he had any chance of making impact to this team. But talk about a guy that's just kept plugging away, knowing his role and knowing what the team needs. You know, they needed somebody to go get rebounds, you know, defend and he's not a guy that's going to block a ton of shots, but he's shown the ability to switch. He's shown some solid defensive fundamentals. And as he grits more and more confidence in his three-point point stroke, it's definitely fun to see him grow. And, you know, I'll let you chime in in a minute, Ben, here. But one of the things I want to talk about was I got the chance to see him last year in Canton, and he was the absolute undisputed king of that team. And... You could tell with the way the coaches regarded him and the rest of the players regarded him that, you know, he was the one that had the NBA potential and they really treated him like, you know, a a big fish in a small pond down there. And it's super awesome to see his work rewarded 
and to see him, you know, grasp the opportunity with both hands and and take advantage of it. I've I've loved what I've seen, Ben. I mean, yeah, the the, the biggest thing to me uh, the last, I mean, basically since he's been a starter, is how much he's digging in. Jared Allen is a box out, and Wade does his best to box out and crash down, but they're reading each other well too. So what I've noticed a lot with Wade. He'll, he'll very quickly spot where Jared is, who's, what the balance of the floor is for rebounding position and make sure he attacks a defender in order to get his, you know, he gets a body on some. Um, so, I mean, that has been incredibly surprising because it really, until these last five games, I was, uh, very underwhelmed by, it. uh, defensively, he's even shown some fast lateral movement. He shut Brogdon's water off in the last game, incredibly surprising. And Brogdon's a really good player. And if, even if Wade can do that once, that's, uh, that's better than what I, and as he's shooting, I mean, there is going to come a point where the way that the modern NBA functions and because people are, he could be as effective as Kevin pretty quickly, which is a little bit blasphemous, but also more indicative of what's in his career. That, that's a really good point. I actually, my nickname for him and it just to drive my wife nuts is to, is I call him Lil Kev. And, <laughs> Which is funny for a couple of reasons, because, of course, the Cavs had the little Kev, you know, back in the 2016 era. Right. And then the other thing is, as my buddy Eric noted the other day, he looks like uh, he, he, the way his beard is kept right now is he's about to go on Rumspringer. So <laughs> he definitely doesn't have the same uh banana republican feel that uh that kev does so but i think his game very much is similar to kevin loves he's not as bulky he's not the post-up player he said but you know with where the nba is now he does a lot of the same things that the Cavs were asking kev well there's also a level of consistency with him that is really encouraging right i mean he went five for eight from three the other night but it wasn't you know, it wasn't that surprising in a way because he just he get get more repetitions he's really calm on the floor. I mean, he knows what he's doing. He plays within the game. Um, there's always, they talk about Sexton, like the game is slowing down for him finally. And it's like Wade, you never, I don't know, in the games that I've, particularly since he's been starting, it's like, uh, you know, it's a small sample size, but he, he seems to um, just, you know, inhabit the role. So it's, it's really encouraging. That's a great way of putting it. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. Like you talked about the phases of the early season and Ben talked about early on with the Cavs running that super big lineup and dominating teams. And when Andre Drummond, and even after Love got hurt, when Andre Drummond and Larry Nance were, you know, both in top five in the NBA in steals and just generating a ton of turnovers, you know, how that evolved into, you know, this nightmare West Coast trip where the Cavs weren't shooting any threes. It was like a baffling lack of threes in today's NBA. And, you know, what that says about J.B. Bickerstaff and this young team. Um, what do you think went wrong more than anything, Adam, on that West Coast trip that, well, you know, I, as the Cavs just kind of started to nosedive? Yeah, I steer away from these kind of uh, armchair. I like a little bit of armchair psychology. I think we need to spend a little more time sometimes thinking about how our how the players are uh, processing information, how they're interacting with one another. You know, the pandemic is a huge impact on their lives, just like it is on ours. You know, they had their socialization is different. Everything's right, everything's a little bit off, and it just uh, you know spending time in the hotel rooms alone, all that 
So that's like not to bring up Kevin Porter Jr. too early here, but uh, you know, that's there's how do you keep somebody connected socially to a group, right? And the, the Cavs are, I think they they seem pretty well knit, um, you know, given the circumstances. So I steer away from having said all that, I still steer away from this notion of like Drummond, the Drummond situation somehow was a huge distraction. And yeah, I mean, but the lineups have been all over the place anyway because of injuries and and then the trade for Allen and and uh, and Prince, et cetera, right? So it's kind of, I don't know. I think they're just trying to, and JB could have been more solid, I think, in some ways. Um, I mean, I'd be curious to hear, Ben, and your views about sort of substitution patterns and how much he should be experimenting and trying different lineups. And I mean, Dotson, for example, right? There's all these little things around the edges that add up. You know, like Dotson hasn't been performing particularly well. The Cavs need a backup point guard that, you know, Ben has been really uh, clear about sort of Sexton's deficiencies. And so, I don't know. Maybe they started, what's the word, you know, feeling themselves a little bit too much after the Brooklyn loss. And also Cavs fans' expectations were really high. So that when they had this 10-game slide, it's just like... You mean mean the Brooklyn win? Yeah, sorry. Did I? I'm not sure what I called it, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you (laughs) said, well, I guess Brooklyn did lose Cavs. Cavs (laughs) Yeah, the Brooklyn lost twice. I mean, right? I mean, that was devastating for them and awesome for us. But uh, yeah, so after that, there's this kind of uh, sense that this team is capable. I mean, you know, he's on the... Sexton's on the Zach Lowe, Zach Lowe podcast and all that, right? So it's kind of... Exactly. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, a couple of things I'd say. One, Colin was feeling himself. And the second he was feeling himself, it correlated a little bit at the same time of the, the trade. So you had Drummond, who was the man, and then Colin feeling himself. Everything was kind of put in a different position. But let's go very specifically for the Nightmare. We have the Clippers, we have Milwaukee twice, we have Phoenix, Denver, Portland, the Clippers again, the Warriors, Denver, and Oklahoma City, which is actually a much a pretty pretty hard game. Uh, yeah, those are all really good teams who are better than the Cavs. So there's not a lot other than, I mean, the fact that they lost all those games in a row is, is problematic. The fact that they started with losses to New York and Minnesota is obviously not great, but like, the Minnesota, you know, or I'm sorry, those 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 lists that I first read are all really, really good teams that we're not going to get surprised after, you know, watching the Cavs beat the Nets a couple times. Um, but the lineups, you know, they were playing McGee and Drummond at the same time. They're Jarrett and, and Drummond at the same time. Colin couldn't hit anything. I, I really don't worry too much about that whole West Coast trip. And then lo and behold, JB, in terms of the, the lineups, uh, you start playing some guys who actually can shoot and you're going to have better success behind the line. So they started putting in Dylan, Dylan Windler and he can shoot and they started playing Dean and he can shoot. And, you know, <laughs> lo and behold, they made more threes. Yeah. I, I, I'll say a little bit, you know, I, I think what was concerning on that West Coast swing was not as much of why they were losing or that they were losing, it was how they were losing all these games where I think they had a game where they made four threes, which is just, you know, ridiculous. That game against the Clippers was just brutal. I think they were outscored something like 30, 37 to four or something like that. I mean, it was a ridiculous number. I, it was more than that. I think it was, the Clippers scored in the forties on threes and, you know, you're just never going to win in today's NBA like that. And I, I think the other thing that was driving everybody nuts was, you know, team elbow floater. 
Uh, and they get in this habit where they just throw up elbow floater after elbow floater. And it's like, why, you know, there's a reason that shot is open. And so that's certainly disconcerting. I, I think the other thing that happens is a little bit of the rubber band effect. Um, and one of the things I've really been thinking about lately is it is really hard in the NBA to be really good. And it's also hard to be really bad. And one of the reasons that it's hard to be really good is when you are good, everybody is gunning for you every night. And you're going to get every other team's best game because nobody wants to be embarrassed. The other thing that happens is it's hard to be really bad because other teams stop taking you seriously. And you get to the point where even if you try hard, you're going to catch a team by surprise. And I think you saw that a little bit with that Atlanta game after that first uh, that first. Uh, win after the losing streak, and you saw, oh, who's the guy? Danilo Gallinari had an absolutely abysmal game for them. You know, he basically stared at Stevens as he hit that game-winning dunk. And then you saw, you know, Gallinari come back the next night and score over 40 points. Obviously, something had gotten into him. And you see... The, the teams the Cavs were beating, you know, they were going to sneak up on them a little bit. And I think the Cavs, A, snuck up on Brooklyn when they did. And then after that, everybody's like, oh, well, we got to take this team seriously now. You know, it's a little bit of the rubber band back and forth. That's I think that's part of why you see so many teams in the NBA right now just floating around 500. Because once you start to get good or get on a, uh, a win path, uh, Teams start to take you seriously a little bit. And, and Adam, I'll say 100% what you were saying about the COVID-19 and the psychological impacts of this season can't be understated. I mean, this season is an absolute meat grinder. There is hardly a week that goes by where the Cavs don't have at least three games. And it feels like, you know, they may twice a month get more than one day off between games. Uh, if they're lucky, there's some months it feels like that they only get more than a day off between games ever. And, and that may be because the team they were supposed to play got COVID. So it's, it, this season's been an absolute meat grinder and the psychological effects that that's going to take on the team are, like you said, can't be understated. Uh, and I have empathy for these guys because across the league, I think you've seen a lot of professionalism, a lot of guys, you know, playing hard, uh, you know, gutting it out. I haven't seen a ton of mail-in games. I've seen a couple mail-in games from the Cavs. But for the most part, you know, teams are playing hard. They're playing entertaining basketball, not always good basketball. I saw, I've seen a lot of bad basketball from the Cavs. Um, but it, it it's definitely been an interesting season. Um, one of the things that, you know, this mini recovery, like you said, Ben, it's – they're shooting better, and I think you're seeing guys get a little bit of confidence. I think those extra days off before they came back and had this little mini recovery, and you know, we all think they should have won four in a row and beaten Indy the other night. That Indy game was just, it was simultaneously fluky and the, you know, natural result of what happens when you don't take care of the ball. And as Adam said, when you don't have a backup point guard you trust. Uh, and after Garland went out, they re- they really yeah, struggled. 
Exactly. When your starter goes out too, who's having a really solid game. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so it, it'll be really interesting to see what happens the second half of the season. The other thing that happens when you get on these long streaks where you start losing with this compressed schedule, you don't have a chance to put fixes in. You know, I've been really disappointed with the Cavs offensive lack of creativity, lack of off ball screening. I think we've all talked about on the live thread how brutal the Cavs out of bounds plays, especially baseline out of bounds plays are like they seem to only have like one, maybe two plays. And a lot of them aren't designed to do anything more than get the ball in. Um, It's hard to fix that when you don't have time. But I, I, I don't know if there's a solution to that. But to me, that's one of the big things the Cavs have to work on in the second half of the season. Those seem like just you know, table stakes that they're not bringing to the, t- any thoughts on any of that, Ben? I know I just rambled for a, a good long time. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the, as far as it pertains to the, the Pacers game, you know, sometimes a guy's going to have a career night and it's going to be fun for him. And he's, I mean, he, I think McConnell's leading the league in steals right now off the bench. It's absurd. The guy's having a great season for that. Uh, and then he had the culmination. He got a chance to play against guys who are his size. Cause normally his, his lack of size uh, hurts him and he can't play as much because he's, you know, going against actually, you know, big guys. But the Cavs, of course, don't have anybody to throw at him that physically imposing. So he was able to play bigger minutes and really whatever he wanted to. Uh, the inbound stuff, I mean, a lot of that is, yeah, you have a d- bunch of different lineups. You have guys who haven't been in the, in the lineup or even on the team and no practice time. A couple guys who don't quite understand easy post feeds, let alone. Just to come back on that uh, question about kind of the losing losing all those games and kind of getting back to winning basketball, I think that uh, on this, uh, you know, the, yeah, as you said, the indie game was quite a – it was fluky. It was incredibly fluky. I mean, I think you said in the, in the uh, live thread for the game, like just the ball just flying out of people's hands and into the backcourt on sort of multiple possessions regardless of what – uh, TJ McConnell was doing right. There was kind of just this energy in the air, and uh, that's going to happen. That's why the game is fun. I mean, that actually, the, there was a game against the Pacers uh, when Drummond kind of first came in. It was really, really fun. It kind of went down the wire as well that they that they lost um, last year. Kind of really similar, just the way the ball bounced near the end, two possessions, and that's enough. But they, yeah, they really they really threw it away in some ways. But this, you know, to make a broader point um, on the just winnable games you know the, the, for me the frustrating thing um about the uh, about the road trip wasn't so much that they they got blown out by teams that yeah i mean ben makes a really good point this is, these are really really strong teams you don't expect that the Cavs are going to go into denver and just take it to the nuggets right or that the nuggets are going to come to cleveland and that they're going to get um they're going to get a win so it's it's hard to it's hard to say um that, that any of those are like inherently winnable but in the winnable games like against phoenix um, there was one against Minnesota that was also pretty close, you know, making mistakes down the stretch. And I think those are the kind of games they need to, they need more experience with that. You know, this funny thing about this pandemic season, there's a lot of uh, blowouts, I think just in general. I mean, I don't think it necessarily demoralizes the team, but it does mean that they don't have as many chance to get those meaningful reps in. So one of the really encouraging things about the Philadelphia win, for example, and the Atlanta win is that they were able to not only get lucky, but really have some meaningful repetitions down the stretch and Darius in particular could be a big part of that, kind of controlling the pace, making the winning plays. And that's that's what they need more uh, more practice doing, you know, just to get into those winning habits. I mean, like Kevin Love, I think, gave a podcast. He was talking about this kind of uh, before the season started, just winning basketball. He wants to be a part of winning games. <laughs> it's like it 
was it was possible in a few instances on this road trip, like Phoenix uh, in particular. As Adam was saying with Darius, uh, he he's having the kind of season that I was hoping for on both sides of the ball. He is really reading uh, off ball passing lanes, especially that baseline pass that uh, you got to be able to peel down after you finished. If you're trailing in a pick and roll and you're no longer able to, to handle either of the, the primary partners, you have to peel off to see if you can cut off that, that three-point kick. And he has done a really good job of getting in the way of that or just outright stealing them over the last month or so. And that's been really encouraging. Do you think that scheme, is, you think that's something they're coaching him to do? Yeah, they absolutely coach that. I mean, that that's a pretty typical action. I mean, most defenses, you're you're going to try to shut off, shut off the weak side three-pointer uh, uh, after after that trail position. Most of the time, if you're having to deal with the chuck down on the, on the big from the strong side as a small, or if you're involved in the pick and roll, you're going to peel off to the baseline three uh, passing lane uh, after you're the offense. You know, hopefully you're not too far behind and you early. But if you if you peel off quickly and you get to that line or you know over there, then you can dissuade the pass at all, and then they're caught in jail a little bit. But um. He's been doing that consistently. Some of the other guys, Windler's really good at that right off the bat. He uses his length. He's been doing a really great job with that. Wade had a, one of those the other day. It's clearly something that JB's team. Um, the other thing that I love that since Jarrett's been there too, and since you have McGee and Jarrett, I mean, you have to throw the lob. And those guys are getting the message, and, and Darius is tossing the lob. And even Colin is really into the habit of, of looking for that lob pass. Um, you know, as much as I rip on Colin over the time, when he's not throwing the ball away, playing with his mind, at least offensively, he's a really impactful player. Defensively, he's still he's still rough. Early in the season, he was hidden by Nance and Drummond and, and the size up front, so it wasn't that big of a deal, which was uh, that, that huge zone that they were throwing out was really helpful for the small guys, especially for Colin. But since they they lost the size on up front and on the wing with Larry, a lot of Collins have been highlighted. Um, but as I say, Garland has a really natural IQ. Um, you know, he's his limitation is size, but he can end up being probably a a peak Jeff Teague type defender, which is pretty good. What what about offensively? Because you said he was having the type of year you wanted him to have offensively. What have you seen? Well, I mean, he's he's keeping his dribble alive. He is trusting when to pick up the dribble for that floater where he knows it. And, you know, like you said before, getting in love with the elbow or, or that floater right inside the elbow, he's really quite good at it. And I don't really want to take away his confidence with that. Um, so that in-between shot is incredibly important with the way defending the pick and roll nowadays because they're trying to, you know, obviously get out on the corners. You defend the rim three-point. I mean, that... Pulling up at the elbow like they were doing last year a lot and they were doing on the West Coast trip, that's not great. But that step floater inside, which is historically a harder shot, but because those guys practice it so much, is easier. Getting to that spot, both both he and Colin do that, and I don't want to take you know, a foot in the paint, and it's either a lob or, a, or that floater. Um, but basically his pace, I still want him to, to, to shoot more uh, from behind the arc. There, but he's obviously he's shown that it stretches here. I think over the last month he's averaging seventeen or feet in the rock to the. He's he's doing a good job. I'll follow up with you there. A couple things that I've seen offensively, and I think you 
you did a great job explaining to add, but he's become much better at finishing at the rim than he was. Um, he's really good at using spin and odd angles to get the ball in uh, to kind of yep. overcome his lack of, you know, vertical explosiveness. Uh, but while he's not totally vertically explosive, he has a really twitchy first step and a herky-jerky kind of action that catches defenders flat-footed. So I've been really happy to see that. Uh, he's gnashed the ball really well. I think when he gets in trouble is when he dribbles and he doesn't kind of know what action's going on on the court, so he just dribbles to dribble. Um, but those times have been really cut down. And, and I will say, yeah, I, I think I wrote about this a lot on the Philly game was the amount of mid-rangers and a step inside the the elbow and, and in the lane, I think much better shot than, you know, elbow jumpers and long twos, especially early in the shot clock. Uh, and that's where they, and especially Colin Sexton, really frustrates me. Like, if I see Colin Sexton in the half court come in and shoot a 22-footer with 14 seconds left on the shot clock, I'm like, you can literally get that shot anytime you want. Why are you taking it? You can get a much better shot than that. And so that's kind of what drives me nuts. But I really find that team is much more steadied and plays better when he's in the game. The other thing I've been super encouraged about him is if he has a bad first quarter, uh, he will you know, tend to pick it up as the game goes on. The other thing, and I wrote about this a lot in the Philly game, is his and Colin Sexton's conditioning is winning games for the Cavs in the fourth quarter and when they go to overtime. They're just, you know, they can run for days, it seems like, and that is really impressive, the kind of shape that they're in. Um, and And I think that that's something that's underrated for NBA players because when you get tired like that, you don't just suffer physically, you suffer mentally and they're, they seem more mentally alert at the end of games than they have before. And then at a lot of times the teams they're playing. So that's been really good to see. Uh, Adam, you, <laughs> I, we've kind of monopolized the last five, 10 minutes. So anything to add on Darius Garland, who I think is one of the bright spots of the early season. Sorry. No, on the conditioning thing, I think you're absolutely right. And I thought that was a brilliant recap because you, you put your finger on kind of an underlying factor that helped. It's not just sort of the decision-making, the, the fact that the floater goes in over Embiid. It's sort of just they're wearing these teams down. And I think we, you know, I, I certainly am guilty in my write-ups too of kind of using the word undersized, right? Garland is undersized versus this or versus that player. And it doesn't mean he's going to get his shots blocked automatically. I mean, sometimes he's going to, like the Atlanta game, uh, Tony Snell was in, I think, for um, for Atlanta, you know, buried a number of really nice corner threes and was guarding Darius at various times. And he's like, I don't know, he looks about a foot taller, but, you know, you just, you can run circles around him. And the same is true for like, if you look at, if you watch the uh, Rockets game, Oladipo had 20 something points, but he was completely gassed by the end of that game. And, you know, talk about mental stamina, um, you know, resiliency. You know, the Rockets just look beat down, but the, the Cavs just kind of keep coming. And Darius does seem really resilient. He does have a way of kind of coming back and not letting mistakes kind of get under his skin, not overthinking things. The one other thing I would add about Darius is last year I was frustrated because I thought, why did they draft this guy if he's not going to act like Trey Young and just start pulling the trigger, you know, and, ex and expanding the floor? But they want him to be more of a floor general. He's being more of that. The one other thing that kind of I think deceived us last year about Darius is he had all these three point shots. So he had nights where he did really well, 
But if you go back and look at those games, it's largely blowouts. And he was knocking down those threes against the Chicago Bulls when they're losing by 25 in the third and fourth quarter. And it's kind of like right now when the pressurized game and the winnable games, like he seems to be making the right decisions. And that's and, and he has the, uh, the, the tread on the tires to do it. So that's exciting. Yeah, that that's awesome points. I, I wanted to, you know, take us back to something Ben said earlier around Marcus Smart and a parallel that I really see with Marcus Smart in a guy that, you know, makes really effective swing passes, doesn't over dribble the ball, plays at times really smart defense, still starting to learn it. But, you know, Isaac Okoro is a guy that reminds me of Marcus Smart a little bit and, and not that he We'll get to that level. I hope he does. But, you know, the beginnings of that kind of defensive awareness and also offensive awareness of not trying to do too much. Um, you know, what have you seen from my big take on Isaac Okoro is he has the absolute some of the absolute worst per minute numbers in the NBA uh, analytically. And a huge part of that is the role the Cavs have put him in of we're going to play you super long minutes against really good players and his analytics numbers look like garbage. And yet I see some great moments from Isaac Okoro every night. Uh, obviously, he has some things he needs to improve on. Aggressiveness, overpassing on drives, I think, is his biggest problem right now offensively. Uh, but I'd love to see his you know proclivity for three-point shooting has ticked up. He's looked to score more in transition after that was something he did early in the season, kind of lost his confidence a little bit. Um, and just defensively from night to night and game to game, he seems to make really smart plays and you know know the tendencies of the players he's guarding. I would say one of the things that gets him in trouble is he likes to leave his feet at times. And I think he's smart enough. He'll learn to do that. But you know, Ben, is Marcus Smart a comp that is totally nuts for, you know, Isaac Okoro, at least defensively? Uh, I mean, I do think they have a slightly different style with their defense. Um, Marcus is probably a little bit stronger than that is a really, really strong. Um, oh, yeah. Guy. One of the strongest, possibly the strongest guard in the NBA. Yeah. I mean, pound for pound, he's, he's probably the strongest player in the NBA, Kyle Lowry. Um, but... I think Isaac has been so good, we overlook him. He has been absolutely incredibly solid in a way that I could have only... Cavs were going into the draft looking for a defensive mind. Um, this kid has been great, and he hasn't made all of his threes. He hasn't... You know, he's playing huge minutes. He's playing 33 minutes, always in there. Uh, he's asked to do absolutely, like you said, I mean, requirements on the defensive end are are steep. Um and offensively, it's kind of funny the way he finishes a lot of the times around the rim. I think that there's no chance the ball's going to drop because he really likes to do a little, a soft left-handed, uh, mini floater finish. He doesn't use the glass as much as he probably should. Um, but he's able to, to go off both hands. Yeah. Unfortunately, we had to mute Ben again. Uh, what were you saying, Adam? Well, I was hoping to make like PJ Tucker and just pass, pass back as quickly as possible and not have to do anything because <laughs> I, I have a, I, I like Okoro a lot. I mean, it's really, it's fun to watch him develop, but I think Ben's absolutely right that kind of he's, he's, he's been pretty solid in so many ways. And uh, even though the, the numbers defensively don't always look that great, but I mean, even if he got the three ball recently and um, he can finish it with contact. And I like that as well. Cause I think that's, uh, that's something the team needs a little more ruggedness um, in the interior. 
from the from the guards and small forwards and stuff. So I think that's good. Ben, how much, still how there? much did you mute this time? <laughs> Unfortunately, I had to mute a good bit. Um, yeah, I don't know. As a girl, he's <laughs> <Sorry>. real good. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've been super happy with him. There's a couple things I really want to see him do. Um, I'm a little concerned about his defensive rebounding, even though that's not really what they're asking him to do. But uh, his his defensive rebounding for the amount of minutes he plays and for the guys he's playing against uh, concerns me. I think that's probably the next step of his defensive evolution is learning how to contest and then get back in position for rebounds. Um, I loved what I saw on the offensive boards the other day. I, I kind of called him, uh, you know, a shorter Sean Marion, not in the, just in the way that you don't have to run plays for him on offense. You basically let him shoot open threes and crash the O boards um, and, you know, dribble drive on occasion. And the other, you know, I mentioned this early in the season, finishing when he gets the ball around the basket in a, you know, a semi post position, he's really good at that backdoor cut of, you know, just sneaking back door and then, and then throwing it up. He's gotten so much better as finishing off two feet when he gets the ball in that situation and kind of knowing where his angles should be and how he should finish. Um, and yeah, like I said, the other thing, you know, just learning how to pass or not overpassing on the dribble because he's been turning it over a lot instead of just putting a shot up. Um, and I think teams are starting to sit on that pass. And so he's, he's got to go against his tendency a little bit. And he almost reminds me of Larry Nance a little bit in that way, in that he's overly unselfish at times. Um, and and when he gets that worked out, I I think he'll he'll be fine. I'm I'm super happy with everything I've seen so far. And and I say this as a guy who desperately wanted them to take Halliburton, and have loved what I've seen from Halliburton so far. But I'm not a hundred percent sure that Okora still isn't the best long term fit for this. Um, ben, any counter to uh, that? Yeah, I would I would also. I would also add, I mean, Halliburton is a great player. I, I'm not going to worry too much about Halliburton versus him because, you know, there were some issues with Halliburton's inj- injury and some of that stuff. Uh, but I don't think it's off the table that Okoro is going to Halliburton by the end of it either. And part of the thing is being a defensive stopper. You don't enter the league as a defender with respect. Even right. Tybal, who was incredible last year, was getting hosed on calls all the time. And, and, and Okoro still gets hosed on calls. Hosed every single day. Every day, every game, that guy is getting absolutely. And, you know, early in the season, you can see him getting a little frustrated over the last couple weeks. I mean, his his stoicism is, is going a little bit by the wayside with some of these calls because it's just – some egregious calls are going against him, but yeah, he's going to build you. respect. I think over, over, by, even by probably the second time through the, through the league, you know, some of these refs seeing him more frequently and understanding what that he's doing, he's not going to get, get called. Obviously the leaving your feet part, like, you know, he's, he can't bite down or bite so much on some of those. The only other aspect that I wanted to talk about with the rebounding is most of the time JB is asking him to contest and leak. So. If you're contesting and leaking, you're not going to be rebounding much as, as if you're asked to do different things. So in the same way that you were saying on, on the offensive end, required to, to crash on the defensive end, he's actually being asked to leak. So yeah. Well, no, and that I, I wanted that you to, yeah. I wanted to get your assessment of that because you, I know that's one of those things you watch better than I do. So it's good to hear that. Yeah. I mean, every, everybody can throw a body on people more, but yeah, I mean, he's, he's out in transition all the time. That, that, that's good to hear. Um, 
yeah, it's it'll be interesting to see kind of how he develops. I'm I'm super happy with everything I've seen so far. And like you said, the calls have just been like when he fouled out of that Philly game and kind of the crazy thing, he seems to get calls against him in bunches. Like I think he was at three fouls and then fouled out at the end of that Philly game in like two minutes, which was just crazy. And just like some of the calls are just baffling. Um, But that's part of being a rookie. So, and he gets rooked a lot. And as you know, the officiating at, the best players all the time. Yeah. And the officiating in the NBA has been real up or down this year. You know, the, the officials are going through the same thing everybody else does. So I, I can't get too upset by it. I've seen some just ridiculous things, but I feel like they're trying. Um, and the respect level from the players and them, I, and probably everybody involved is just exhausted all the time. So maybe that's part of why nobody's getting too up or too down about the calls. But although that that uh, Utah Philly game the other night was some of the worst crap I've ever seen, I would get super frustrated playing Philly every night. Uh, I that team gets more calls than any team I've seen in a long time. It is interesting that if Shaq were to have gotten the calls that B gets, yeah, he would have had twice as much foul shots. But He'd score forty at the same a game. Time, I mean, Embiid, <laughs> yeah, I mean, as far as the end of the game goes, though, I rewatched that end of the and the I don't the think Utah game or the, the Jazz, Cleveland versus yeah yeah the the, the Utah Philly. Uh, I think people were getting a little bit upset for another. Yes, that foul that that was a blown call of Donovan Mitchell, the one with the when Embiid basically just blew a tire and and couldn't dunk it on his own. <laughs> that was a terrible call. But like the rest of the game, there were plenty of plenty of calls that were great on the side. I think it was just a poorly officiated and not necessarily okay. Feel, you know, because the same thing thing happens a lot with Ben. Ben Simmons gets hacked all, when he goes to the hoop, like all the time, and he's. It's funny because some people were pointing out that he was trying to avoid contact, his foul shooting and stuff. It's like, are you watching the game? Nobody's calling fouls. <laughs> like, it's strange with him. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask Adam, you know, we, we've covered kind of the young guys. Adam, one of the big surprises, especially in the last few games, and I'm, I've been super excited to see it, is Dylan Windler really kind of come into his own for a few games and... You know, you're seeing him string things together like you saw him string some high rebound games together, which was really nice to see. You saw him, you know, over two games hit nine straight threes. You saw him, you know, the couple games before that was really doing everything right except the ball going in the basket. Um, He feels like a player to me when he figures it all out, he's going to be really effective. And I've been super excited to see his defensive improvement, too, because there were some moments, I don't know if it was confidence or if it was just, you know, growing pains or rookie or dealing with the injury, that he looked unplayable defensively, and he's really picked it up since he kind of returned to the rotation. Adam, what have you seen from Dylan Windler uh, that you like, don't like in the first half of the season? And you're muted, Adam. <laughs> I don't think Adam realized it. Oh, maybe I muted Adam. Adam, you were yeah. muted, so please start over. Well, I think he needs more reps and more minutes, and that's where there's not really a log jam at sort of uh, small forward or power forward, wherever he's being slotted. But um, I think between Torian Prince and, and Chetty, he's kind of, you know, he's, he's kind of he's not really locked into that second unit. I mean, there's not, there's not a clear pattern, in other words, as, as sort of when he substitutes into the game. It seems like about 
six minutes into the first quarter is often when we'll see him, but it can be later than is he in at the end of games or not. Kind of seems to be dependent on matchups, but he's only averaging like six, seven points a game. But his impact on the game when he is in is incredible. I mean, he's really developing a nice feel for the game, getting the 50-50 balls. He knows where to go. Things seem to be relatively organized. Um, and he'll make still a few small mistakes here and there. I mean, he missed an important free throw in the Pacers game. But, you know, how many of those did LeBron miss in crunch time, right? You, you can't ask for everything. And I think that his um, – the other thing that I like about him is, uh, you know, even when he's not – uh, making them, he's still shooting them. So I think he's at, you know, what is it, three through 36 percent, 36, 37 uh, percent So that number could be higher. But um, he seems to read things pretty well. The one thing I would say that is true of uh, Okoro and especially Darius as well is they still aren't like uh, absolute like uh, Kyle Korver style kind of curl around quick uh, catch and shoot. Like there's that split second where. He wants to stop and kind of assess where things are. And, of course, in that uh, half second is when kind of then the defense is on him. So he's not ultra confident yet about that kind of uh, twisting around the screens and kind of uh, curling and, uh, you know, just uh, that, that, that that's going to go in or that's even going to go up. So I think, you know, more attempts and more time will help. And he's nice on defense, too. And that, um, you know, that second unit with JaVale and, uh, you know, Torian Prince is in at the same time. It's so long, right? I mean, you get you get um, some serious uh, some serious uh, length there. I can't remember if he does. If they sometimes sort of have him slotted in at guard, actually, during some of these um, uh, shooting guards, some, during some of these lineups or not. Yeah, I think he's played the two through the four in different lineups. So it's been yeah, he's 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 primarily he's been primarily the two with. with playing at the three when Prince was out a lot. I mean, I mean, it depends on the two or three, if it is. I haven't seen him. At, uh, he's not. I mean, he's six, six, eight, six, nine. But as far they as what played him a little bit I, uh, there, um, and it was like a two-game stretch, and it was kind of disastrous. But it was also real late in the, you know, right when Allen was coming in and Drummond. And then he had some more injury stuff, and it didn't really work out, and they haven't really gone back to it. I don't know. Just the time, some of the times when he's playing the slot and Steve. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm sure I missed. Oh, well, no, case, I was just saying because the, uh, the team like was specifically calling it out that, oh, we're going to try Dylan Windler at the four tonight. It was one of the, one uh, or two of those games where it was really bad. And it was like they haven't really gone back to it. And I think they <laughs> possibly could. But, you know, sometimes the guy just has a bad game. So um, anything you want to add on Dylan Windler, Ben? Sorry, I, I kind of cut you well, off. I mean, for, for me, I think he's at his most valuable. Uh, no, I was just saying, like, I think he's at his most valuable uh, at the at the two or the three. You know, he's he's rebounding the ball almost eight rebounds per. Th- he's he's using that length as a as a weak side win at the three in a way that you know if you have another four there with him. Actually, you know, if you have him next, I I'm really happy with with what he's doing on both sides. I mean, he's he's. Has really quite good metrics considering his uh, kind of feast or famine when it comes to making shots, but at least the league opens up stuff. Uh, since he made all those threes in a row, I don't think. Yeah, I'm with you there. I think, uh, and part of that's just being a rookie. And I think when he struggled some of the times, it's like the guy literally hadn't played 20 games in the NBA. And I, I think a lot of people forget that for his. Um, the next guy is that we're going to talk about is is probably the most controversial on the team and my and Ben's probably most frustrating player to watch um is Colin Sexton and you know my biggest concern that I think this team could make 
its biggest mistake long term would be signing Colin Stexon to a long extension this offseason uh, for a lot of money. Uh, because I'm not sure he's the kind of player you can build a team around. I think he could be a very good scorer off the bench. But, um, you know, what, what's your take on Colin Sexton from what we've seen so far, how he could grow, and if the team should commit to him long term or, you know, wait another season and go the restricted free agent route, Ben? Uh, well, I mean, I've been very anti as it pertains to his superstar. Now, you know, I've always had a pretty good, a really solid. Um, but I do not think this is offense isn't Colin Hanna great offense. Defensively, he's still a train wreck. He's a little, he's a little bit better. Uh, you know, at the moments he, he hasn't, you know, when he first came out, he was always off his feet. He was hopping hops all the time on his hard change direction, say. Um, that's better <laughs> as, you know, a, a huge contract this summer. I mean, nothing like a max. I mean, he's not, he's not that guy that he is probably. He's not the guy that buried them and got hot. Um, long term, I think Colin, what we've seen at times is what he is. When he gets hot, he is playing with really good offense. Day to day, with his size limitations, his defensive limitations, his playmaking limits, I, I don't see if he's a, definitely a tier below that, you know, Sexton. On the other hand, who are you going to sign? It's <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I think Donovan Mitchell, I've seen the comps. You know, their shooting numbers and their raw box score numbers are very similar for their stages of the, but, you know, Donovan Mitchell has literally an inch shorter and 25 more pounds a month. I mean, he's just Donovan Mitchell plays so much bigger than he is because he's built like a tank and because he's got longer arms and just he's a different guy. They're not the same player and he's a much better playmaker. Um, I think the better comp for him on that team is Jordan Clarkson, except Jordan Clarkson six five, but you know similar deficiencies playmaking and defensively, and you know defensive awareness at times. But you know Colin Sexton's not six five, and that and that's the issue. And I and I do think long term, and that's so much of why I was really wanting a guy like Halliburton on the Cavs because then okay, you've got a guy that's got more size that can play at the one or the two that has some point guard abilities that could play with either. One. You know, Sexton scares me long term. I love his attitude. I love his conditioning. I love his competitiveness. But I also don't love his I got to get mine shots that he takes sometimes. Like, I haven't had a shot in three possessions. I got to take a shot. That drives me nuts. Um, or the I, mano a mano stuff. When he yeah, gets, exactly. Like, okay, now it was my t- Yeah. Oh, my God. And did you see how bad just Jamal Murray just owned him in that game? <laughs> it was brutal. And we were talking about yeah, the I mean, jumping, there, and an I saw it. I saw it jumping up in the air two feet, just yeah. like you said. I mean, somebody like Jamal Murray, Colin is going to have his moments. I mean, he had a moment against the Nets, obviously. I mean, we really have to be these guys not to get excited by when they go al fuego. Like, you're always going to have the time. I remember freaking playing in an organized I, I Even I went al fuego, and I'm a defensive <laughs> dude when I still could play before everything <laughs> went to hell. Like... It's just, you know, if people would have saw that day, <laughs> like whatever. Now, of course, like we said, Colin's got good shooting numbers. So it's not like he still has, has far surpassed his, my, you know, almost all of our expectations of what he was going to shoot, how he was going to. That, that's and, a very fair point. And however far he passed our expectations with his shooting, he has, he has come short of our expectations with his defense. All those Pat Bev comps, hilarious <laughs> in retrospect. Yeah. I mean, he is, he is less, 
I mean, it's like an Andrew Wiggins type, just between what we thought he was going to. Yeah, and and so much better offensively than we thought he'd be. He's almost like Cat, whereas everybody coming to the league thought Cat would be this great defensive player, and it turns out no, he's a great offensive player. It's just Matt. Now, you know that I'm only saying that as a comp. He's nowhere near the offensive player that Cat is, but you know, even adjusted for position. But Adam, two questions. One, have you ever played pickup basketball? Uh, what's your pickup basketball spirit animal? And then, you know, anything to add on Colin Sexton? <laughs> I haven't been asked my, my spirit animal. That's good. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, hawk. I like I like the hawk. But, uh, yeah, of, for my basketball spirit animal. I do haven't played pickup in a while, but I uh, used to play a lot at the University of Minnesota uh, back when I was uh, studying music. So that was my favorite pickup to play against members of the – I learned my most about pickup basketball against members of the uh, University of Minnesota Golden Gopher football team. So they oh, would, we would have these evenings. A lot, of, lot of fouls, I'm guessing, uncalled. Oh, it was brutal, yeah. There were some athletes there, too. Some real athletes, yeah. See, I played a lot of pickup in in college against the uh, University of Alaska Fairbanks hockey team, and hockey players don't call fouls. (laughs) (laughs) A lot lot of mullets. (laughs) High mullet density. Uh, On Colin, I think the... uh, Yeah, on Colin Sexton, I think the, uh, the Jordan Clarkson comparisons are definitely apt. And he kind of, he benefited in a way from ending last season on a real high, right? He was just torching, I think, what was it, February, early March. I mean, had a really great game against the Celtics. And, but to his credit, I mean, he continues to fill it up mostly this, this year on the scoring end. But some of this, I mean, recently, like 39 points against Houston. I mean, that was, that was just an ugly game. And, you know, PJ Tucker not so demoralized, like not even going out to guard the three point line. I mean, it's just like some of it's just, free money right i mean so i think that that um yeah there's there's a, at the same time you know when you need a bucket often he's the one just getting it to kind of keep the calves in game so i don't know i don't want to just take the scoring for granted but yeah on the defensive end it's it's when he's locked in which is not all that often he can he can do a pretty good job but i feel like darius is a more consistent team defender et cetera, et cetera. right so I, that's i i don't have kind yeah. of the yeah I mean, Adam, I would contest when he's locked in, he's still not that good. That's that's my whole point because there's not a lot of times where Colin is not paying attention or not trying. The kid tries. He really is working. He just doesn't go in the right place and he has bad fundamentals and he's too small. I mean, so yeah. that, I mean, yeah. the, the natural feel, the natural IQ that, that Darius has makes up for a lot of his defensive, his, his side shortcomings. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm still not saying that D- uh, Darius is a good defender. He has potential to be a, a pretty solid team. Yeah. Uh, he's never going to be Kyle Lowry or whatever. I mean, some of these guys, you can really great defender if you're stocking up at that size. You see from Chris Paul to or any of these guys who are, who are built like tanks, you don't have to be taller than six foot or six one, just strong. Uh, Darius is probably never going to be that strong, but he's, They'll put on a lot of strength. Unfortunately, Ben is cutting out again. So what were you going to say on Colin, Adam? Well, he, you know, you, used, you and I think it was Tom Pestak also used to write about the um, Razor Ramon sessions, right? Like back in the day that like the Cavs just needed somebody to just go to the hoop, you know, to just get in, draw contact, shoot buckets, you know, and Ramon Sessions was that guy. And I went back and revisited a small amount of footage of him that is available on YouTube and his game is similarities to Sexton. Yeah, that's interesting. And, uh, now, Ramon Sessions was a better passer than, exactly. but also shorter and also 
very one-dimensional offensive. Yeah, and for me, like the, your point though about Sexton, that that post you made after the uh, what was it? It wasn't a Denver. No, it was it was when they got absolutely creamed. I wrote about Denver in Denver. You wrote about Denver in um, in in, uh, in Cleveland, right? Yeah, when the, the, that that was the Jamal Murray game, right? Yep. Um, yeah, and and you wrote about this kind of the fraudulent environment, you know, and that to me that really captured it because. Um, and to me, this is the thing about Sexton. We have to kind of disaggregate the marketing side of the organization from the basketball side. And presumably on the basketball side, they have some sense of these liabilities on, on Sexton's, of Sexton's game. But the marketing side is just like, this is the guy. He's the new Kyrie, basically. He's the and franchise he's not player. the new Kyrie in, yeah, in good yeah. ways and bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's not as weird. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, he, he seems to, you know, be a team guy in terms of his discussion. But the thing that also drives me nuts about his, uh, when I see him, uh, when it, when new players come in, especially like Chetty, right? And I'm not a massive Chetty Osmond um, fan for per se. I mean, I like the guy and I think he's, he's a good team player. And when he's shooting well, he's fun to watch and he's pretty reasonably organized on the defensive end. And, you know, he puts out a good effort but his minutes have been all over the place. And um, when he comes into the game, the guy is, you know, again, like Kyle Korver, he is ready to, he wants that ball in the corner. And if he's open, he wants to take the shot. And, you know, why don't you give him the ball ever when he comes in? So he's, when he comes in, it's always like three or four possessions through some random series of events. He gets the ball on a tip or it's like throwing eight feet out from where he needs to be. And Chetty's off, right? You know, so I'm not blaming Chetty, Chetty's bad stats on Colin completely. But there is this sense of like, hi, you know, we get, we got a shooter in the game. Let him let him get the ball in the three point line. You know, we can get some points here. Ramon <laughs> Sessions, Ramon Sessions had that one game where he had twenty assists or whatever that was. But in actuality, yeah. he was a terrible passer. So that game confuses people into thinking that he was a good <laughs> passer, but he was a total yeah. and utter ball hog who did nothing but shoot mid range shots or like go to yeah. the hoop. Now. I think Colin needs to make sure he just needs to to not forget to take threes. Part of the thing he didn't do on the West Coast. I mean, he just I would rather he he pull up for threes a little bit, shooting forty percent, and he's he's shooting under five a game. Like shoot the ball, buddy. Yeah, um, yeah, Ben. Um, was there there anything else you wanted to add about Colin? Because we did we did cut you off a while ago. Unfortunately, it almost sounded like bad encoding. Um. Well, no, I mean, it's that's basically how I talk now. It's part of the German accent. We have these, <laughs> that is not true. He, uh, yeah, ben no, has been replaced by AI. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Deutsch AI. Uh-huh. AI. All right. Um, I'm going to... I need to bounce, actually. Okay. <laughs> now. Okay. So... Um, the I don't know. So, one last My, thing. Uh, before you take off, Ben, what are you looking forward to in the second half of the season? And do you have anything to pitch? I am very much looking forward to the eventual Jarrett Allen and being on the floor at the same time. And in the front court, whether it's 5-4 and four or 5-4-3, we want to call Larry. And uh, some clarity after the, the deadline, whether it means buying out of Drummond or any of that. But just I want to see lineups with, with Garland, Okoro, uh, Larry Windler and awesome. Oh, and something to pitch, something to pitch. I guess I do have something to pitch this time, though. It's a really hilarious, like, role in it. But if, uh, you want to watch Francesca da Rimini opera by Zandonai, it's on March 14th. It's streaming on Akt 1, which is AKT1, and that'll be 
German uh, internet interwebs. Can, can <laughs> you, you send me uh, a link and or some spelling on that? Because I'm going to totally butcher it. I mean, come on, everybody. You don't <laughs> automatically have that memorized. Francesca da Rimi de da Sandonai in Deutsche Oper Berlin. Was ist los mit euch? All right. Uh, no. <laughs> so, no, no, nothing. All right. Then, uh, yeah, with with that, I, I shall bid you fine gentlemen adieu. Thank you, Ben, and uh, have an awesome, uh, you know, rest of your march. And uh, it was wonderful to talk to you. I really appreciate it. Yeah, guys. Cheers. And go Cavs. So, uh, Adam, uh, are are you good to continue, or do you do you need to bounce? Oh, yeah. Okay. No, I so. don't. I, I I do need to get that URL, though. I do want to hear that uh, <laughs> that uh, that opera. Well, but, you guys uh, are both to... the music mavens, so. Oh, I'm interested. I wanted. I was a little sad not to hear Ben's take on Javale McGee. You know what I mean? That's, oh, that's, I know. Uh, that's why I'm at Cavs the blog. You know, I'm here for that. Yeah, I'm, I might be able to pull it up from an email. So what's your take on JaVale McGee and kind of not the young guys, but the older guys that we've seen in the first half of the season? I really love JaVale McGee in the second unit. And he, of course, does all the wild improvisations. And there's, I think you've probably said it before, right? There's always one or two completely mystifying uh, attempts in a game by JaVale where it's, it either is spectacular or it's, uh, you know, belongs on a, on a blooper reel, but it's uh you know, he's really doing a great job with the block deflections and just uh, keeping uh, keeping that second unit anchored. And I think he was one of the good things that came out of the uh, that West Coast road trip, you know, where the second unit seemed to kind of uh, cohere a little bit. And uh, when he's when he's out there, it's it's kind of fun to watch in a way. I, I This is the other thing is sort of who's the backup center if, if he gets traded. I mean, Fawn Maker is presumably still available on the, the scrap heap or whatever, you know, waivers or whatever he is. But uh, I don't know. I've, I've kind of I found him to be a pleasant surprise. I, I didn't have high expectations. Um, he also is the one Cav besides Colin Sexton, actually even more than Colin, who's uh, likely to show up on the ESPN.com highlight highlights on their website because I think it's all the Laker fans who sort of clickbait for uh, Laker types. Yeah, I mean that's interesting. I I will say, I said uh, Javale McGee probably has the highest standard deviation from play to play in the NBA, and I'll totally yeah. stand by that comment. Um, a couple of things about JaVale. I mean, one thing, he is so much more um, explosive at this point in his career than he has a right to be. Um, he's still an incredible leaper. I mean, I don't know if you saw when he went made that block the other day, he literally almost cracked his head open on, hit his face against the backboard trying to block it. I mean, yeah. he... His verticality and his explosiveness for, I think he's 31, um, is really impressive at this point in his career. I mean, obviously, he takes care of himself. Um, he's says he's really embraced the culture. I would not be surprised to see the Cavs move him because there's a lot of teams that need the bit, a big and he's on the la- end of his contract. But I actually also wouldn't be surprised whether he's moved or not um, to get re-signed with the Cavs. Um you know, he's a guy that's really impressed me with his work ethic and his consistency. He does, you know, handle the ball away from the basket a little too often. Um, that being said, at times, the Cavs, he also t- catches defenses off guard doing that. And, you know, it's nice to see somebody playing with some joy. 
Um, and he's definitely a guy that's done that for the Cavs. And so I've, I've really enjoyed that. That second unit has been great. I would love to see more Damian Dotson success like that. Um, you know, I was super bummed that Damian Dotson had some bad games yet had that brilliant game that he played against, uh, Philadelphia. Um, you know, and, and maybe that's a matter of consistency, but I, you know, I'd love to see him get more, uh, you know, time. Anybody else from that second unit that you want to talk about? I know one guy we haven't talked about is, um, Lamar Stevens, who's been just a really nice, unexpected surprise for this team. Uh, one of the things that I've talked to people about, you know, Mike Schreiner and I talk a lot on Twitter, uh, you know, former CTB writer, and he was really wanting to get Derek Jones Jr. in the offseason last year. And my whole point was, you know, you don't want to spend a lot of money on Derek Jones Jr. You want to go find the next Derek Jones Jr., a guy who can give you a lot of verticality, a lot of defense, and has room to grow offensively. And I really feel like they found that with Stevens. W- what's your take on him? Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I, I like everything I've seen, and you're absolutely right on that. Uh, your convo with Mike, this kind of Derek Jones Jr. is an exciting, explosive player um, who can put a real imprint on the game. But yeah, what you know, eight, are you going to pay eight, ten million dollars to bring in somebody like that? And I think the Cavs kind of have shown a limited uh, willingness and ability, right, well, to bring and, in sort of those kind of players. And and I'll say that they're not at the point where you need to be doing that. I mean, that's a guy you bring in when you need to bring in that guy to a team that's already got an established culture and rotation, but that's a real need, but the Cavs aren't there. The Cavs aren't where the Blazers are. Sure. Right. Or like a Jay Crowder or somebody like that, right. Kind of a known quantity. Um, But yeah, I like what I've seen. And I like, I mean, the end of that Hawks game was just exciting to me. That was one of the funnest ends, uh, conclusions to the game since, uh, since back (laughs) back in last, when was it? Two years ago. Yeah. Um, The Alec Burks games. Yeah, exactly. Sort of, oh, where did this guy come from? And, all you know, he's, he's got the game winner. How can he? And uh, so I really enjoyed that. Um, and I think he, he's a good defensive presence. He's, he seems to know what he's doing. He needs to, needs to develop sort of the three ball. I was a little disappointed in the uh, the Sixers game because I sort of thought, you know, is he kind of, if he styled his game after Ben Simmons a little bit, you know, you kind of, there'd be more dunks, some more inside work. But he seems, he, again, like, like Wade, I mean, he kind of plays within the game, kind of knows what he's there for, um, and he, he rebounds, right? And there's this kind of, uh, anyway, I, I think he's a good fit with everybody as well, and he's young. Um, and, you know, Dobson, on the other hand, is, is a, yeah, less of a, I don't know, he, he's lightning in a bottle, right? If he's hot, it's great, and he just comes in right away and kind of heats things up and is kind of that Jordan Clarkson style of player, not afraid to shoot, not self-conscious. But at the same time, if he's cold and a little bit out of it, I mean, like, uh, he can really bring the team down. And so that's, uh, I don't know, I, I, I have, I don't feel like he's, he's going to be around for long, to be honest, but, uh, might, might be that, that, uh, he gets, he, something clicks with him in the second half of the season. Maybe he's working with JB or the, the, uh, the offensive coaches and kind of works into the system a little more because that's the thing, like, missing Delhi, right? The sense of kind of just, get the team going, uh, move the ball around, um, shoot when it's appropriate, kind of have some kind of a system, run some plays. And he, he just, uh, he seems to communicate well with JB, right? I mean, he's certainly, he's not kind of an arrogant player, just kind of out there like Colin, kind of just, I'm going to do my thing no matter what sometimes. You mean uh, Dotson? He seems to, 
I'm talking about Dotson. Yeah, he seems to be pretty connected to JB, but I still don't know that he's, you know, really running the offense when he's when they're out there. I do feel somebody. I think Ben actually in what podcast kind of said he's got sort of a pickup game feel, and he's an incredibly gifted guy. Oh, that, but, yeah, that um, was. I thought that was a great analysis from Ben. I I will say the other thing about Dotson, and that's super been super strange to me. He had that stretch, and he seems like he's gotten out of it a little bit now where he had just that horrible hitch in his jump shot. Like he would pause on the way up. And I was like, that's a really strange hitch. I don't understand how he shot so well last couple of years with that. And then when he was, you know, especially in that Philly game, it went away and I was like, Oh, he, he's gotten rid of the hitch. He must be doing okay again. And then, yeah, he's really been up or down. Um, I'm not as down on him as players. I think he would be a guy that if he had consistent rotation minutes and, you know, there's consistency to his role, he'd probably be a little bit better. But, you know, the Cavs don't, like you said, have a backup point guard right now. I mean, obviously, we haven't seen that from Colin Sexton. Uh, Chetty Osman, they tried that a little bit with him. And, you know, for a couple reasons. One, Chetty's kind of all over the place. Uh, you don't know what you're getting from game to game from Chetty. Uh, his handle's also a little sloppy, um, which which hurts him. And I think Chetty's at his best when he can just fire away. Uh, when he thinks too much, he kind of gets in trouble. He's also not as good as a finisher as he could be. I, But Dotson is just kind of all over the place. And I, I think that's probably who Dotson is. He's a 10th or 11th guy. And you have some injuries, you can play him. And, and, you know, he may help you, he may not. But I'm not sure that Dotson's you know, anything beyond that at this, point. which isn't to of, say it's a necessarily a bad thing. It's interesting though, because, you know, for all the last few years, there's all this discussion about sort of positionless basketball and, uh, you know, the kind of traditional roles and sort of going by the wayside, but you know, it seems like you still need a big man. You still need a point card. Uh, you certainly need a backup point guard. Um, and there aren't other people on this, on this team who seem sort of ready to pick that up. And yet, like you said, I mean, Sexton, is he's playing some minutes with the second unit, right? But he's, his distribution role doesn't seem to be particularly well honed, although he did, as the organization marketing uh, re- reminded us, you know, get 10, uh, 10 assists, you know, in the game against Indiana. They were all in the first half. <laughs> yeah, that Indiana thing. game. I'll admit I have not. I had a lot of stuff going on personally, so I have not read your recap, but I, and plus that game ticked me off so much, but I, I definitely am looking forward to going back and, and catching up with that. Cause that Indiana game, when the ball was just flying out of their hands and like Colin Sexton, just like, what are you doing? Why, <laughs> what is this? So yeah. And I really wish Ben could be around a little longer. Cause I really wanted to hear his take on, you know, what we've seen, and we, we've kind of covered most of the players, but what we've seen from JB Bickerstaff so far, um, and, and I've been really mixed. I love his enthusiasm for the game. I love the players play hard. Uh, they play hard throughout the game. You know, I have not seen many games where it really felt like the Cavs quit. They brought their competitiveness. I love what he brings off the floor. He seems a person that you can respect and commands respect from the, that work for him. Um, you know, and a guy that says the right things and seems to value the right things. Um, that being said, uh, the Cavs offense at times is really frustrating. You know, I harped early in the season on, and I, it's been better since Jared Allen's gotten here. The lack of off ball screening has 
and the lack of, you know, ability to free up shooters away from the ball has been really frustrating. Uh, I think we've all talked about the out of bounds plays, you know, making mistakes at the end of games. Um, you know, what do you, what do you think about JB and is he the long-term fit for this team or can you even tell anything this because it is such a nuts atypical season? I hope he's the long-term fit. I mean, it seems like the, he's having as good a year as, as is possible kind of under the circumstances. I mean, there's a handful of games where there might have been some, you know, better lineups or better decisions, you know, kind of going down the stretch. But it doesn't seem like there's this uh, total chasm, certainly between the players and the and the coaching staff. And, and um, that's that matters a lot. And, and I think this year, I think the other thing is kind of what are the expectations within the organization of him, you know, there's so much development work to be done with these new players. It seems like he's got a real free reign now to run a lot of different lineups and to kind of experiment. And he's still, I think, in experimentation phase with the lineups and kind of see what works. I guess the thing that disappointed me a little bit was just the uh, the lack of creativity when Drummond was in and just, I mean, the, the offense really often defaulted to, it was either... Uh, Colin and, the, and uh, Darius just doing whatever they felt like or just get it into the big man at all costs. We're just going to dump it down to Drummond or let had Drummond have, you know, a dozen possessions a game, literally, where he could just, just take the ball down the floor, do whatever you want. If you want to jack a three, we're not going to call a timeout. So there are all these kind of just the Drummond centricness of kind of by default, right? Because he, he's allegedly a superstar. He's one of the top players in the franchise. You've got to, you know, at least give him a shot. So before the Jared Allen trade in particular, but even afterwards, there were times when it was just, you know, possession after possession, it would get pretty monotonous. So, you know, sort of what can he do um, on the offensive end? And if he's got a full complement of weapons, so to speak, you know, how, how is he running things? Is it an agile? That Warriors game uh, worried me a lot, kind of watching that one. Um, you know, just this sense of like, can you guys get any threes at all? Right. So as you said, on that road trip, that was, that was sort of concerning that, you know, cause you can, as a coach, you can do that, right. You can basically mandate that they shoot more threes when they're open. I, I will say one of the other things that really bothers me, and we've seen it in a couple games is the amount of turnovers off of out of time outplays. And like, to me, those are times, okay, we're going to draw something up to get a guy a bucket and the amount of times they turned it over has just been brutal. I think I, I can't remember which game it was, but they had three and I'm like, you, you can't have three. Um, that's super frustrating. Um, and I think I've talked about the challenges a little bit of he really doesn't have a great feel for when to challenge plays and when not to challenge plays. Um, and I, I think the NBA is still figuring that out, but. That it, it drives me nuts at times when he does or doesn't challenge plays or when you to me, like if you've gotten to the end of the game and you haven't used your challenge, that is kind of a failure to me. Um, I don't know. But well, that being good. said, sorry, go ahead. Well, there, was, there have been a couple of times where he's sort of outfoxed uh, another coach and kind of near the end of the game where sort of challenges timeouts. You know, somebody did it worse than, than the Cavs did. Right. So like Pierce. And that game, the most recent game against the Hawks, you know, there was, that was basically a coaching failure by the, on the Hawks side, right? There was, they just ran out of timeouts uh, right. because of the wasted challenge, et cetera. So it's sort of, you know, the shoe has been on the other foot, but I think in general, you're right. There's not a real uh, flexibility or a, a competence really on that front yet, I think. 
Yeah, and that Hawks game was a, a super interesting game. And, you know, I tweeted after the game, did the Cavs just get uh, Lloyd Pierce fired? <laughs> and it, it appears that they did. Um, and, yeah, and Ben had a lot to say about the Cavs. And I'm going to actually – Ben kind of sent me a, an abbreviated point forward earlier. I'm going to publish it with the, with the podcast here. But it's – yeah – uh, and we haven't talked about the NBA at large, and I know this this podcast is getting a little long in the tooth, but uh, anything you want to add on the Cavs or anything that you're especially looking forward to in the second half of the season? Oh, I'm usually looking forward to the second half of the season in general, but the uh, you know, I was kind of keeping my eye on the Hawks a little bit just as a side project, but also my hometown, uh, Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota Timberwolves. Oh, uh, my yeah. first is back there, and I do get... You want to talk about a team and... that's just been snake bit this season. <laughs> Yeah, Rubio, you know, even when Marco Rubio thinks, you know, things aren't... Uh, you mean Ricky uh, Rubio? Sorry, Ricky Rubio, he's not the senator, sorry. <laughs> Whoa, talk about, a, talk about a hijack of the podcast, yeah. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Ricky Rubio uh, feels like it's uh, the whole thing's gone backwards. So, uh, yeah, and there's a team that wants Larry Nance, allegedly, right? It's like, would you want to go yeah. there if you're Larry Nance? Are you kidding? No, well, and then the funny thing is, like... You know, they want Larry Nance because, um, you know, uh, D'Angelo Russell and him are buddies. I was like, well, <laughs> let's, let's put the shoe on the other foot. You know, maybe the Cavs should be training for D'Angelo Russell. <laughs> oh, right. Talk about, yeah, you got another shooting guard, I suppose, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, any, anything else about the Cavs you're excited about? Oh, I don't know. Just uh, I want to see fans back in the arena at some point. Yeah, you know, I'm not yeah. paying super close attention to the pandemic stuff or sort of what Mike DeWine is saying, but I don't know if you have any uh, thoughts on that, sort of if there's a timeline or a roadmap. To talk about a few more fans in the stadium. It's, it's great to hear the fans in the stadium, and I hope they put on a good show. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm super excited for it. I want the Cavs to be able to, you know, reopen safely and everybody to reopen safely. I'm working on trying to get vaccinated myself um but it, it is difficult for anybody that is that has tried um and i'm gonna be honest i'm super concerned about you know the brazilian and some of these other variants yeah, the, variant. the south yeah, Ar- yeah. african i you know the one thing i don't want to see happen is open too soon and have things deteriorate again so i'm i'm all about caution i don't think we'll be able to get to full capacity this season um it would be great if we could but i would rather proceed with an abundance of caution um my thing that i'm excited for is i want to see delhi back on the floor i really hope it happens in the second half of the season you know my all-time favorite player i i'm really hoping his career isn't nearing an end um i would love to see him have some big games to the second half of the season i know last season watching delhi at the end of the season you know throw out these multi double digit assist games and some of these crazy inspire the whole team games was really the highlight of my last calf season and i and i hope to see something similar again um so I'm hoping that happens. I, I want to see Kevin Love in a Cavs uniform and see, you know, what the Cavs can do um, with him there. I, I will say I think the Cavs are being very cautious. And part of the reason they're being very cautious, I honestly think they don't want to make the playoffs. I think they want to get another draft pick in what's looking to be just an absolutely stacked draft class. Um and I think they're going to try and find ways to, you know, avoid being too competitive. Um, 
you know, for good or for ill, but that's that's my inner conspiracy theorist talking. I don't know if that's actually true, but, you know, I, I do want to see competitive basketball, and I do want to see those two guys that are the last holdovers from the championship team have not played their last game in a Cavs uniform. I'm hoping to see that. Um, oh. And Sorry, go ahead. No, I usually agree on that. And that's, yeah, if they did a stealth tank job, you know, this uh, this West Coast trip was a good time to, to do it. Although yeah. Ben says, you know, there's some great teams that we're just going to lie down anyway. So, yeah. um, you know, they're in a position now where if they don't make the playoffs, it's not an absolute shame. But, yeah, I'd love to see those guys, especially Kevin Love. I mean, I, I you know, in terms of just, you know, starters, right? Yeah, I, and it's going to be the second half of the season. There's some brutal stretches, and then there's some stretches of winnable games. And it'll be real interesting to see what can happen. And I think it's a little bit what you see with all these blowouts is a little bit of the same thing about this brutal West Coast road trip is, you know, with no time to prepare the, you know, the meat grinder schedule, things snowball quickly. And it's it's hard to get them turned around when things aren't going well. And I think that's a little bit what we saw on the the road trip. So I just hope for more consistency. And um, <laughs> what did we root for in the past? Entertaining losses. Um, I, I'm not I'm not one for tanking, but I can see the Cavs rationale because I do really think there are some transcendent players in this in this upcoming draft. But um, as, as far as the NBA as a whole, um, is there anything that surprised you? Uh, for the first half of the season or anything that you've been especially pleased with or, you know, impressed with? Well, I guess just kind of putting on my other hat, it's kind of a analyst of uh, politics. I kind of, I'm watching Adam Silver really, you know, his comments and kind of, uh, there was that, you know, his kind of comments about Messiah Jiri's uh, arrest long ago, kind of coming back to bite him. And um, and then just kind of he, him being quite combative about the fact that, like, yeah, we're kind of losing money this year, but, um, you know, we need to do this all-star game. I mean, it's just interesting kind of lessons and sort of... Can you give me some context on the Masai Uribe? Because I hadn't heard... I mean, obviously, I'm aware of the situation, but I hadn't well, I heard about his con- comments coming back to bite him. Yeah, well, I think it was about, like, he's kind of meant to apologize for those. And he has, I think he finally did, sort of. But basically, there was an interview. I, I don't, I watched it. Um, at the, I didn't watch it at the time. I watched it recently. But uh, not long after, or maybe a few months after, that year that the uh, the Raptors won its title. And, of course, he had the, uh, Masai had that confrontation with this, uh, I don't know if he's a California State Trooper or a local security guy for the, yeah. at, the at the Golden State Arena, right? And uh, so they went back and forth and, uh, you know, because it's, about uh, sort of who was going to who was going to be paying for uh, who who had sort of done an assault or kind of a I don't right. remember what the what, what all the legal parameters of it were, but basically you know Masai was proven to be correct and um, you know this guy lost right and it was unjust obviously but the uh, you know the optics of it were basically that um, the optics of it were that basically uh, Adam Silver was seen to be kind of supporting law enforcement or hedging that Masai, you know, basically Masai is a great leader, but the, the comment was something like, I, uh, he needs to know enough not to get himself into this kind of situation in the future, which is like Oof. what winning a title and then being told you can't go see your team because you're black. In the, yeah, in the no, that was, arena. I had not heard that comment and that's, that's pretty brutal. Yeah. Yeah, there was that. But the other thing that got me, though, uh, about the NBA is like about electoral reform, you know, so I want to see this kind of continue with the and, uh, you know, you know, in all over the country, like all this kind of the NBA's connection with kind of getting more people to vote, making voting easier. 
that kind of thing, like in Wisconsin, Ohio. And it's interesting to watch. You know, I, I, I don't think that the NBA in and of itself can swing an election or, or wants to get too deeply involved. But just as the season goes on, I'll be very curious to see kind of community involvement. And as people kind of come back from COVID recovery and getting communities kind of, you know, like Cleveland kind of engaging the city itself. It'll be interesting to see like what the Cavs do and what other what our organizations do, what yeah, LeBron and, is doing, that kind of thing. And not to get this podcast overly political, but it will be very interesting to see how that shakes out in light of a lot of the, you know, Republican controlled legislators very much trying to crack down on voting access across the US. Um and the opposite of the message the NBA and the NBA players were you know sharing and and kind of how that comes to a head and so it'll be really interesting to watch um and i know at some point in the future i would love to have a you know the nba's uh relationship with china because i know that is is very much in your professional wheelhouse uh, I would love to have that conversation on a future podcast, but obviously that's that's far too complicated for a podcast that's already gone two hours. So um, it, what my biggest thing from the NBA so far this year, I'm super happy to see this jazz team be successful. I think they're super fun to watch, um, have a lot of players I really like. I've always been a Rudy Gobert fan. Uh, you know, Joe Ingles fan, um, Mike Conley fan from his Ohio State days. And, uh, you know, Donovan Mitchell was such a great surprise when he came into the league. So I'm excited to see if that team can compete with the elite of the West. Um, you know, my defensive player of the year so far, Rudy Gobert and my, he might be my MVP too. So, um, and definitely I, I think, uh, I can't remember the name of their coach, but, um, uh, he's Wait, definitely, what'd you say? Quinn, Quinn Snyder, something like yeah, that? Yeah, Quinn Snyder. Yeah, definitely the coach of the year and uh, candidate so far. So I'm super excited to see what they do. Um, you know, rookie of the year, my rookie of the year so far, it's got to be LaMelo Ball. He looks phenomenal. Um, and I'm 100%, you know, ready to say I was totally wrong on him. I didn't think he would be engaged enough to be an NBA player, but he just looks like a ton of fun. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to see what he grows into. I'm excited to see this Cavs team. Um, I'm super happy that none of them got invited to any all-star festivities because nobody's getting exposed to anything. So exactly. <laughs> A safety, the best safety first. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, in, uh, any, you know, uh, most improved player who do, who do you think has been the most improved player in the NBA so far this year? Wow, that's a tough one. Um, there are so many interesting cases, aren't there? I mean, just thinking through the, uh, I, I wish I could say like Victor Oladipo, these guys kind of coming back from injuries and things like that, but it's yeah. hard to say. I mean, and also like Kevin Porter Jr. in the second half, right? We, we barely talked about him, but like, oh, man, if yeah. that guy comes back strong, that's going to be like, you know, most improved mental health, physical health, everything, <laughs> right? It's kind of yeah. Like, it's, yeah. That 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 will be super interesting. I I really want to. I almost think Zion Williamson could get most improved because that guy is just absolutely killing it. Um, you know, after kind of an up and down rookie year, but it'll be super interesting to see how how most improved shakes out. Um, I don't know if anybody on the cat. I was really hoping you know Larry Nance before he got hurt would have a shot at defensive player of the year, at least one of the oh, defensive really? first teams, but um. 
you, you know, Nikola Jokic could get most improved because of how good he's been for that team. Um, it, it It's an interesting award, and it'll be interesting to shake out. Who's your MVP so far? Oh, I usually like Giannis. I mean, I think he's, you know, he's great. I haven't watched him so carefully this year. I mean, the Bucks have been meaning to kind of catch up on some of their, on some of their backlog. Um, but, uh, I mean, I think Giannis has been pretty great, but like you said, like Rudy Gobert, um, <laughs> is pretty great. Mitchell's doing really well. I mean, the, the jazz are just kind of in that stratosphere at the moment. Um, yeah. I haven't been watching the Lakers so much. So like, you know, some people don't talk about LeBron, but, um, I'm not sure kind of where, where that's at. Yeah. And Embiid, if he didn't flop so dang much, I would, I would vote for him, but he's insufferable to watch. <laughs> well, that's yeah. He's, he's he's sort of purposely unlikable. He's kind of in that WWF WWE kind of uh, mindset. He's a heel. He's sort of, yeah, yeah, exactly. You love to hate him, and yeah. Uh, yeah. But I mean, God, I mean, amazing stats and uh, great player. I mean, even against the Cavs, it's just like the guy just walks up the floor and just buries like multiple threes in succession, and he's just kind of unconscious and he's graceful and. Um, I guess it's. I suppose we'll see how the how the Sixers end up in the standings. Um, yep. But if they're really up there at the, at the top, he's got a good shot at it certainly, and it would make sense, right? It's and he's a, a dominant big man who can score, you know, handle the ball, shoot from the perimeter. It's it's, it's exciting. So I mean, I, yeah, I guess take away the dislike of the of the person or his his antics, and yep. um, yeah, he, he's got a very good shot at it. Um, so yeah, trying to wrap this up a little bit. Uh... Anything you're looking forward to in the All-Star game tonight, or are you not an All-Star game guy? I never, I always watch it uh, well after the fact. I'm kind of, uh, I think the lack of defense is always a little bit, uh, it's kind of hilarious, really. Um, Yeah, and you're in a time zone where it makes watching it live hard. (laughs) Yeah, 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 I don't know, how about you? Um, I, I do like the Elam ending, I think that added a lot of fun. Um, I hope that the guys play with some joy and that there's some competitiveness and but i also want to see the camaraderie and just you know respect for all the different players and you know what's been a really tough you know year and a half for the nba or year for the nba and i and i just hope that there's a sense of you know gratefulness and camaraderie and brotherhood that kind of pervades the game and that it's fun and not just a slog that that's my hope and I will say, you know, along with that, I always like the dunk contest. And I I really am a little interested to see if this abbreviated format is something that they can keep a little bit. Because I do think the All-Star game kind of slogs on a little much at times, uh, especially the All-Star weekend. So it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. Um, yeah, congrats to the NBA for making it this far. You know, they, they, yeah. it's, I was surprised they didn't do this season in a bubble, to be honest, you know, and yeah. um, it, it seems to be working for the most part. Okay, yeah, and, and I respect the heck out of the players for having gutted through a very difficult, and that's that would be my biggest. I think the players and the coaching staffs and the training camp staffs have really are to be commended for their professionalism and for their you know, I haven't heard a lot of complaining, um, you know, I have from the high level, from the union side, but that's also their job. But I think the professionalism and the engagement with fans and just the day-to-day, you know, we talk about losses being, but the day-to-day excellence and, you know, just being an inspiration to the fans and the nation as a whole, because I, 
I really think the NBA has done a great job of that this year, and I'm I'm happy to see him. I hope the players are commended to that to that effect. Um, oh yeah, I'm with anything you, you want to add think... on the Cavs or the NBA? Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt no, you. Just, no, I'm just saying I'm with you on that, and uh, you know, kudos to them for 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 getting through it and for giving us uh, a you know a great sport sporting experience to watch and for oh, yeah. us to kind of be able to connect with one another to talk about the sport and kind of other things in life, and it's it's great. It's, you know, that's what it's all about. Absolutely. And uh, anything, so uh, anything you want to pitch or add before the, uh, before we sign off here? Oh, uh, not so much. I mean, uh, I think the, <laughs> I was thinking about maybe trying to do some uh, more recaps over the all-star break, like catch okay. up on the Hawks game. I don't know if you think that I should be pitching stuff that I haven't written yet, but uh, I'll you know what? You, you are welcome to write whatever you want. <laughs> All right. <laughs> green light the green light <laughs> you have the you have the green light you have the uh you can fire away from anywhere <laughs> so, right and my pitch this episode is going to be the new hold steady album which is called odp or the odp and it stands for the open door policy um i think it's their best uh album since stay positive and their last the previous album, Thrashing Through the Passion, from 2019, is really good, but this new album um, is just really phenomenal, uh, really great stuff, and the song Hanover Camera is probably the best song that, it might be my favorite Hold Steady song of all time, and, you know, one of the best songs I've heard in the last couple of years, it's really good. If you're a Hold Steady fan, in the vein of Bruce Springsteen and, you know, America's Greatest Bar Bands, Check it out. And that's all I got for this episode of Cavs, a podcast. And I uh, just want to say, you know, one more time, I'm thinking about you, Ryan Yankee, and I'm thinking about your family. just want to say I miss you, man. And, and go Cavs. Stars were out and have a jug of stolen cheese.
Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.